Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What they didn't know is I had the propane torch down in it, right? They just couldn't see it. And so on video, it looks like I'm rubbing this bark down and then all of a sudden, this blue flame comes out the end of it. It's about 12 inches in diameter. It's a big, huge flame. They built this pile of cattail down. It was about the size of my truck. And then I lit it. And that was gone. You know, in about, what's it take? Five seconds. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David. And this is our job today to take you step by step. Through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear, you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and to show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, what's up, man? Writing. (laughs) Writing. Really? And more writing. Yeah, it's been one of those weeks. I've had a bunch of deadlines, and I've got two or three more, so uh, I kind of get in my head too much when I'm writing a lot, so it's kind of been one of those weeks, which is fine. Okay. But it's forced me to research some topics I wasn't entirely comfortable with, so lots of lessons learned this week. It's been good. It's a good week. Yeah, so how do you deal with it? Because I know I spend way more office time and sitting time than I like to. How do you deal with like their work schedule? I think this might help other guys, too. How do you deal with that and still kind of stay active and get out and, and do all that? Do you schedule time out or what? Well, a few years ago, two things I committed to when I left the corporate world is I committed to getting good sleep every night mm-hmm. and I committed to working out a minimum of three days a week. And usually I, at this point, I really miss it if I'm not working out five days a week. So I just do that. And I like getting up early. So I start working out about 5.30 or something, sometimes 5. Knock that out and then I'm ready to rock and roll for the day. You know, I usually get done, I usually get done a lot of stuff before 9 o'clock. I'm not trying to use the old army adage, but I get a whole lot done before nine o'clock than most people do all day. That's for sure. That's great. How's the turkeys out your way these days? Uh, you mean turkey hunting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, our season's over now. Uh, I got one. I could have killed a dozen, but uh, the the uh, my my last two weeks have been spent checking out poults and eggs. I do some informal study along with Fish and Wildlife each year where I go out and count a couple of properties and find the eggs for them and find the poults and and do uh, counts on them, see if they're healthy and all that kind of good stuff. So put those tracking skills to use, which is always fun, coming across some little baby turkeys. <laughs> nice. That's really cool. So what are we going to do here today, Craig? So guys and gals, our mission here today is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ. So you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. And today we're going to be talking about fire. Fire. We're going to be talking about, when I said fire, I have in mind that picture of Tom Hanks and Castaway going fire. But we're going to talk about all things fire, ignition sources, fuel sources, the safety of doing fire, building fires, and a lot of practical considerations. 
Dude, everybody loves fire. I think it's probably the favorite out of all the modules that we do at training. What do you think? Uh, fire is where it's at. You know, and it's interesting. I noticed, I've noticed teaching so many adults and kids that everybody loves working with fire, but kids are drawn to water. Really? Okay. Yeah, they're drawn. I mean, if there's water around and and they're allowed to, they're going to get in it. I got you. But as the older uh, older we get, people get away from thinking much about water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's interesting. I don't know why it's one of those things that is natural for us when we're little and then we get away from it. But, you know, it is what it is. I think it's pretty interesting. Cool. But before we get into this, Craig and guys, don't forget to check us out over at thesurvivalshow.com. Now, we've talked about this before, but we do have a new member site coming soon. In fact, Craig, I was talking to Ty about this earlier. We just really actually have to get me on it and get some graphics up there. But the structure is built out. But even so, right now, you guys can go over if you want to support the podcast and get some sweet members-only content. You can do that at thesurvivalshow.com. We're still currently using the Patreon platform for that. And everyone wins. And and Craig and guys grab some tiny survival guides for yourself and everyone you love the Kickstarter guides and this is might be news to you Craig and cards and everything else the kits are all shipped nice that's awesome I had a lot of help uh, Aaron and Ben helped me out a lot and Karen last week were you going to say something else sir? <laughs> no. no 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 I'm listening no go ahead go ahead it's a, it's a big thing for me because that was oh, a big huge. load off yeah so here's the deal with that. You guys can go and you can buy gear right now, the Tiny Survival Guides cards and kits, and we have a Tiny Survival Sharpener, which is pretty cool, at tinysurvivalguide.com and have any of that stuff shipped this week. It's all in stock. But here's the cool thing. Today we're going to be working quite a bit out of the guide, and this is fire. It's section I in the guide. And if you guys don't know this, we are kind of because the guide is set up progressively through, I think, I would say, the most important to least important skills in a lot of ways, uh, we are up to section I, fire, and the guide. So you can use your tiny guide to refresh what you learned today, and you can use the guide to build upon today's podcast as your personal preparedness training aid, because we show you how to build a fire there. We show you how to make and use a bow drill kit using uh, actually some instructional videos that you can queue up from the guide. And there are four survival fire hacks and a lot more there in section I. And just know that when you get the tiny survival guide, you get a tough everyday carry credit card sized guide that you can put in your wallet or anywhere else. And you're helping to support what Craig and I are doing here on the podcast since we're the authors and we self-published it. So it's a win-win for everyone. What's next, Craig? I'm ready to get into the show. How about you? Yeah, man. Fire is where it's at. Let's get into it. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about three things. Fire fire and then fire <laughs> so if you again as david mentioned if you're following along with the tiny survival guide check out checks and section i we're focusing a whole lot on this show because 
Fire provides so many benefits in a survival situation. Things like maintain your core body temp, which is obvious, mm-hmm. boiling water, cooking food, hardening tools, and to some, just as important, a morale boost, you know, yep. Ranger TV and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, fire is an incredible morale boost. What we want to do first is to discuss the essentials. We're also going to be discussing some kit items. Got all kinds of cool stuff to talk about. Tips and tricks from us. David's probably got some ideas on things that he does that maybe nobody else does. I know I have a few. But first up is a discussion on the fire triangle, which I think is important to understand. Get back to the science of everything. So, David, why don't you tell everybody what that is? So, the fire triangle, essentially, there's three components to it. If you're having problem or if you just want to understand how fire works, there's three components to making a fire. You need air, you need heat, and you need fuel. In fact, Craig, this works with anything. I was talking about internal combustion engines as I was fixing one last week, and Karen asked me how I diagnosed what what the problem was. And I found out that the problem was air. And so anyway, I did this by going back to the fire triangle, and I realized that the air coming into that combustion engine was not getting there. And so it didn't matter how much heat or fuel I had without air. I wasn't going to get fire. And this is a really good thing, Craig, at least in our trainings that we've done together, uh, we do a little section on bow drill. We give everybody a shot at it. And I I have seen this been. Get everybody a shot at it. We make sure everybody gets it, by golly. <laughs> that is not true, my friend. That may be the first lie you've ever told on this on this podcast. I'm telling you what, we're we're miracle workers when it comes to that bow drill fire in the class. Ninety percent of the people there get that bow drill fire, which is nearly impossible, but we make it happen. Yeah, a lot of them do do get it. You're right. Uh, but this is an incredibly important thing to understand that you if you do not have sufficient air you're not going to get fire. And that's why, for instance, if you have coals and you blow on your coals and your coals have enough heat and there's fuel there, that can turn into a fire. Likewise, if you have wet materials that you're using and they're causing the materials not to heat up enough to combust, you're not going to get fire because you can't get the heat up to the whatever it's going to be, depending on all the factors, 420 to 500 degrees that you need to make combustion. And if you don't have fuel, you are certainly not going to have fire. Craig, what do you have to add to this fire triangle thing? Uh, One of the reasons I like to focus attention on it is that ego plays a huge, huge role when anytime anybody is building a fire. And it doesn't matter if you're grilling hot dogs out back for... Um, a picnic, or if you're building a survival fire, a lot of people allow their ego to get heavily involved in that situation. And, and when and if they experience trouble and don't get it, they get upset, they get emotional. And that is something you just have to take out of the equation when it comes to, well, anytime, but particularly when it comes to survival. You can't let your emotions guide you in such things. You need to just Look at the science of it. And if something's not working, it's just the science. It's not you. It may not be your skill set. It's just look at the science. Break it down, just like you were talking about with that engine. And in so doing, you can come to a firm conclusion of, hey, this is what it is. It's not enough oxygen. I'm not getting the oxygen I need to make this work. And so it helps people to take out the emotion in that particular situation, which I think is vital. 
very important mm-hmm. for survival. That's a really fantastic point too, because here's what's happened. Here's what happens. And I, I've seen this happen in training and I've seen this happen when I've helped people with bow drill. And it has actually happened to me because guess what? I wasn't born knowing how to make a bow drill fire. Here's what people would normally do in a situation like that. I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to make this. I'm, I'm, it must be me. And by golly, I am just going to exhaust myself till I, whatever I'm going to do, striking that, that ferro rod, uh, lighten that match or trying to make that friction fire. And what I have found, if your technique is right and, and everything else, and you have done this before, again, this gets down to guys training and practicing. If you've done this before and it's been a lot simpler then something's wrong. I mean, if, if you get, a, if I get all my materials together, for instance, for a bow drill fire or any fire for that matter, and I can't, I can't turn that into uh, combustion within about five to seven, maybe even up to 10 minutes, depending on the conditions that I know something's dramatically wrong with one of these three components, air, heat, or fuel. So I think the whole ego thing is really good, Craig. It saved me a lot of stress and a lot of hassle. And, and I actually, you know, this is in here because uh, of when we collaborated on the trainings that we do up here in Pennsylvania, you had mentioned this fire triangle and we incorporated it in everything we do. And it's been particularly very helpful to me. So thank mm-hmm. you, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm good for that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's that systematic statistical mind of yours. That... It is. I know it is, man. <laughs> I know it is. I am trying to infect the world with systematic ways of thinking about almost everything. <laughs> All right, man. So that's that's all good. Anything else people need to know about this fire triangle or any other applications? That the ego thing was really good. I think that's helpful. It was helpful for me, and I think it'll help be helpful for these guys. No, uh, I think we can move on. Um, I, what I wanted to discuss is start breaking those fire pieces, that fire triangle down. Okay. And particularly, I thought I would talk about tenders. That sound good? Yeah. Do it. And then you can get into the ignition and what have you. But please, okay. anything that I say, jump in on it. But one of the first things I wanted to do was talk about gathering good tender choices from your environment and what that would look like, what's that feel like, what's that smell like, if you will. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you're in a wilderness environment, what are some locations that you can go about trying to find good tender? And one of the first things that comes to mind is, can I just can I just step you back, Craig? Just because yeah. you mentioned you did this to me last time, <laughs> I want to yeah, step man, you back cool. because I know when I first started getting into all this stuff. Of course, you know I was born a Boy Scout, but still, somebody had to teach me what that word tinder means. Can you just explain that to people? Yeah, sure. That's a good point. Um, tinder. So you need several things to make a fire, and and I think I put in our notes, David, you going over the steps of fire just go ahead use. And- Go, yeah, go but, for it. But, but tinder, in, tinder in particular, you all, is the finest, smallest material that you need to gather. And so from a training perspective, uh, getting it first is a good way to teach people. So for those of you who are listening that are interested in teaching scouts or you run your own survival school and you're just looking for other ideas to add to your already wonderful set of tools in your toolbox, uh, I usually teach these things in order meaning I go from tender to bigger material than bigger material. And there's a way I teach that as well. I think David's going to get in that in a minute, but, 
But uh, tinder is that stuff that is really fine, paper thin almost, um, grasses and and um, you know if you were building a a fire in your barbecue uh, or in your grill for a barbecue, then you might be actually using a paper towel or you might be using old newspaper, some variation of it. That would be the tinder. That's the small stuff that's easy to catch flame. And the tinder that works really well is any tinder that has a lot of edges to it. So think about any grass. If you gather some dried, very dry grass and you're going to utilize it as tinder, it has you know, not one stick that has basically a rounded edge on it. You have 20 different edges there. And so anytime you're gathering tinder where you can create a lot more edge, then you're going to be better off. Is that what you're looking for? David? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. I, think that's, okay. I think that's a good start because we'll get into this a little okay. bit more. But but you just mentioned the word tinder, and I'm I'm just not yeah. sure that everybody knows what that word means. So now we, now we yeah. do. Yeah. Okay, cool. That was that was a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. But as far as where you go find tinder is what I wanted to dig into here. Uh, the first is tree canopy in a wilderness area. Um, those that are evergreen, conifers, what have you, no matter what part of the world you live in, because they shed water exceptionally well, anything underneath of those trees is going to be drier than stuff that is not underneath of those trees. And so that's a really good spot to go find dry material. Uh, and I usually try to avoid dry uh, material, any material that I might find on the ground simply because the material that I find that is in direct contact with the earth is going to have some moisture to it because mm -hmm. the sun is not such that it can get underneath of that material. So the underside of the material is going to have some moisture. So even under a tree canopy, I'm going to be looking for sticks that stick up off the earth uh, I might look under, for example, a cedar tree and find a dead branch. It's got um, cedar needles and scales that are underneath that are dried up and useful. And so those tree canopies provide a fantastic place. Uh, if you can't uh, find something there, then another place to look is in any sort of cavity or underneath a suspended log. And when I say a suspended log is, let's say a tree falls down and there's still uh, a two-foot gap between it and the earth. So when rain comes down or snow comes down and hits that log, it's going to uh, basically, uh, the sides of the log are going to be shedding water from what's directly under it. So again, you're finding material that is drier than the other stuff around it. Uh, sometimes it's still not ideal, but it's drier than the other stuff. And then if you can't, find anything that's small and hair-like and has a lot of edge and then you simply create it and that's why a knife in particular is one of the most important tools that you can take with you and what you do is you find a dry stick uh, some people even call doing something like this one stick fire making where you take one stick maybe about the size of your thumb and you create everything you need from that one stick uh, you can use the back of a knife that has a 90 degree spine to shave meaning sh uh, literally like scrape off hairs off the back of a stick. You can shave them off with the sharp side of your knife. And anything that you can do to get hair-like quality off of any dry material and create a bundle. And when I say a bundle, what I mean is I usually try to give a reference point that associates it with something on your body. So find a bundle of this tender that is about the size of your head. Uh, it won't hurt if you've got more, that's for sure. But it's uh, at a minimum, I want a bundle that's going to be about the size of your head whenever possible. And so you gather all that together 
And then you're going to utilize whatever your ignition source is to go about making the fire that you're going to make. Now, one of the things that comes up that is another simple test when gathering material is what I call the snap test. So if you're picking up a stick or you're pulling a stick out of out of uh, trees where branches have fallen off of other trees and, and got hung up, then you can grab it and break it. What you should experience is two different things. You should hear an audible snap and the stick should break clean. That's a good choice for something that's going to be a useful uh, material for fire building, even if you're making tinder or something of that nature. If you break it and it doesn't have an audible snap and when you try to break it, it kind of sticks together and doesn't want to come apart, that's probably because it has a fair amount of moisture still in it. Maybe the cambium layer of the tree is sticking and still has a lot of moisture. And so that's not a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. So tinder is a fuel. So as far as our tri- fire triangle, that's that's going to be mm-hmm. your primary ignition source of fuel. And besides the natural sorts of things that, that Craig had had mentioned, um, maybe I just want to get back to this uh, fuzz stick thing. Some people call them fuzz sticks. Uh, if let's just say that you find a, a small log, or I'm just going to say what about maybe wrist wide, you can, if you have a knife that's able to do it, if you split that in half, you're going to get right down. If you split that in quarters, let's just say you split it in quarters, you're going to get right down to a, a, a nice edge on one of those quarters and the center of that stick, hopefully is very, very dry. And uh, so you can do what Craig said, make hair like as thin as you can with your knife. Again, it's important to have a really sharp knife for this particular reason and every other good reason. But um, I, I haven't had a whole lot of success with leaves. Leaves can work, but they, they're generally kind of smoky because of what you've, you said, Craig, they're, they're almost always directly in contact with the ground. Same thing would go for, for dried for grass, even that's that's uh, laying on the ground. Yeah, I would throw in there. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. You can find some leaves like on a beech tree, up mm-hmm. in a tree. Uh, beach beaches hold their leaves throughout the winter, and so those yep. leaves are hanging on the tree. They're not on the ground, so you might be able to utilize them with success. And I know you know this. I'm just saying this, but but I, I again. Uh, I have students that'll grab leaves and use them, and if they work, they work. But but I tend to avoid them whenever I I can. Uh, it's going to take a lot of leaves to be able to do what you want to do, and again, they're going to have that moisture. Mm-hmm. Grass can be the same way, and it just all depends. You know, I mean, if you're start if you're getting a whole lot of smoke and not a lot of fire, then then you probably don't have a good ignition source, and you might just have to start over with your tinder. Now. Some people like to use dried pine needles. Again, I, same kind of way. They've got to be really, really dry. In fact, I, I think I mentioned on a previous podcast, we're doing beekeeping again. Karen wanted, wanted to learn how to do that. And one of the, when you keep bees, you have what's called a smoker. And the smoker, when you get some smoke on the bees, they go back into the hive and they gorge themselves out on honey and they get really docile. That's why beekeepers do that. But one of the, uh, fuel sources that you use in a smoker that works really good is pine needles. Can can work, but again, because of their ground contact, uh, oftentimes they're a bit moist. But how about this uh, tree resin or fat wood, Craig? Uh, that's a natural source. Do you want? I think you have a really good explanation of of fat wood that we've talked about before. 
Well, fatwood, everybody, is wood that's going to have a higher degree and higher percentage of basically a flammable resin in it. Mm -hmm. And for those that are familiar with woods, you'll see a lot of trees that drop their leaves every year. That's what's commonly referred to as a deciduous tree. You also have conifers, your pines and your cedars and your spruces and stuff of that nature that do not drop their leaves. And most of those trees, not all, but most of those trees have this resin in them. Uh, deciduous trees die from the inside out, meaning you can come across a beech tree, an oak tree, and it'll be hollow as it's dying on the inside, whereas the conifers die from the outside and go in. So this resin basically gets pushed in and in and in to the inner portion of the tree as it dies, as well as gravity pulls it down. So if you can find a cedar tree or a pine tree that is fallen over, is dead, and you can dig into the base of the stump and even to the root system, you'll be able to find this resin. And it's it's just like having kerosene-soaked logs, basically. You just mm -hmm. hit it with ferro, and it's going to light up. It's it's incredible. It works when it's wet, so it's a, an incredible resource to have. Yep. Some other items we can use that are natural is, you mentioned cedar. Cedar bark is a really good fire starter. I just want to caution people. I, I was just re-listening to your podcast on Earth Day the other yesterday. And one thing we just want to be aware of is conservation minded is that when you start peeling the bark off of the outside of a cedar tree, uh, if you do that too much, you can start causing harm to that tree. But cedar bark's a good one. Uh, one of the reasons is that it, it works down really nice into a, a very, very uh, fine tinder substance. Uh, anything else on, on cedar or any, uh, any of that kind of stuff, Craig? No, one of the things that I look for, you know, man, tree nerd, dude, I'm a tree nerd. You can get me off on a tangent on trees quickly. So you just rein me in when I've talked too much on this stuff, but go ahead. You got but, 30 uh, seconds. <laughs> okay. 30 seconds. Here's a 30 second version. Cedar trees are pioneer species of trees. So they're, they're designed to hold the ground and and so they have a wide reaching root system once they help the other trees the oaks and maples and stuff in a mixed hardwood forest gather and and get situated then they'll die off purposely uh, it's just by design and the way it works and so once they die you'll find cedar trees out in the middle of the woods where you can pull on the the dead tree the bark at the bottom and peel the bark off all the way to the top so if you see some tree, cedar trees, then go out looking for them and look for a dead one and find one where you can just pull off, you know, a garbage bag full of cedar bark if you wanted to. Just make sure the tree again is dead. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, seed, you can sometimes, uh, milkweed seed can work good, but you're going to need about a basketball full of milkweed seed because it flash, it's kind of like a flash tinder. It'll go up pretty quick. But getting to maybe some... Hey, I got a funny story for you on yeah, that. Yeah, go for it. So I taught a bunch of Boy Scouts one time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I had gathered... I Literally, I'd gathered the back of my truck up with um, cattails, cattail heads, oh, dried right, ones. Right. Filled the whole truck. And so just for a fun lesson in fire building, I had this scout troop. There was about 10 of these guys. And... We took all though it was a it was a not a windy day the 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 wind was calm and so we could do this without having much trouble. I had them take those cattail heads and just tear them apart and put them in a pile. And 
there's 10 of these boys. I mean, you can imagine how much fun this was. This was a blast mm-hmm. for these kids. So they, they built this pile of cattail down. It was about the size of my truck. Okay. And I mean, I'm talking, it was huge. And then I lit it and that pile of cattail down was gone. You know, when about what's it take five seconds or something. I mean, it was Isn't like, so, I mean, it's a good way. I say that just because, yeah, that's fun. But if you're teaching kids, it's just a good way to teach them the, the uh, importance of fire building. And they see a visual there that's really striking to let them know that, yeah, that's cool. But, but uh, it's, it's something that we don't play with. We just, we work with it and know what it's capable of. So it doesn't uh, cause problems. Gotcha. As far as some other tender sources, Craig, cotton balls are really good. One of my favorites. And, uh, just as far as cotton balls, again, if we think about our fire triangle, we have got to keep them dry. Otherwise they're not going to be able to get to the heat that we need to cause combustion. So I have these little Ziploc bags. In fact, I'm holding my everyday carry petroleum jelly, triple antibiotic infused cotton balls. I think there's five of them in this little tiny two by two Ziploc bag. That's a good source. Dryer lint can be okay, but again, that's more of a flash tinder. And if I'm for my money, I'm just going to do cotton balls and something that we use in training a lot. And I like, because it's, it's a low volume tinder source that travels really well. And I, I keep a a little round of, I'm going to say that this is probably 12 to 14 inches in again, a two by two bag that just sits in my wallet all the time. And, and that's jute twine. But you can process jute twine down to a, a really nice tinder source. And the way that you do that is you just uh, kind of unwind it and then pull it apart with your with your thumbnails and fingernails and make yourself a nice a nice round. Again, this is if you use that much uh, jute twine, you're probably only going to get about a golf ball size. But if you know what you're doing, that may be enough to get your fire going. What else? are things that are just common around Craig that people could use for tinder? Um, you know, if you want to get something small you and you happen to wear cotton pants, something like blue jeans or something, you can scrape your pants with the back of your knife and create a, a fairly sizable golf ball sized tinder bundle pretty mm-hmm. quickly, actually. And so we've done that. I don't wear blue jeans very often anymore, but that's something that you can do. Uh, and I've got something later on in the podcast to discuss on some other fire tenders too. Some, some things you can buy and stuff. We'll go over that in just a minute. Okay. So where did you want to go from here? Let's, uh, one thing, and it just makes me think about it because I was talking about these scouts is we need to make sure that we're doing some, what we need to do to stay safe. And so here's some ten, uh, helpful hints on that. What I mean by that is, is we've got to do ourselves a favor when we're building a fire for survival or we're building a fire for survival training that everything that we're in the midst of, we take care of and we don't cause a forest fire or something of that nature. So typically the recommendation is you want to build a 10 foot circle around you, a a 10 foot diameter circle around you so that you put your fire in the middle of it when you're building one so that there's no chance of ever getting anything else caught around you and getting a forest fire started. Um, another thing is that when you're building a fire, just keep in mind that the clothes that you wear are something you should be mindful about. If you're wearing something like Gore-Tex or you're wearing a rain jacket or something and, 
and sparks come off of the fire that's going to more than likely burn a hole in that equipment and that clothing. So if that's a tarp that you've got set up, if that's a tent, then there's a good chance you're going to get a hole and then water's going to come in that hole. And so these are all problems that you should definitely make sure that you're considering. And another lesson I learned the hard way on a number of occasions back when I was doing a tremendous amount of farm work because I always wore steel-toed boots is if you have steel-toed boots on and you're trying to warm your feet up, when you finally feel that heat, it's because that steel has warmed up and you're getting ready to come out of those boots because it doesn't cool off when you pull it away from the fire. It stays warm. So (laughs) that seems pretty funny, but um, it's not funny at the time. Unless you're watching that happen to Craig Cottle, which is, that is pretty funny, <laughs> but it wasn't funny for me. And I grew up doing a lot of, spending a lot of time in this area called the Red River Gorge here where I am. And I, when I was a kid, I always got into the water, into the river and played when I was supposed to be fishing and stuff like that. But, but, um, uh, putting your shoes next to a fire is, um, something you got to be incredibly cautious of. In my second book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear, which there's a link for it in the description below, check that out. I talk about ways to dry your boots out without putting them next to the fire. And so even though you might have a fire, putting your boots right on top of the fire right next to it is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And you'll have to stay with them. Don't walk away from them. So be aware of that. Um, The other thing, and, and I had this happen for the first time in a class this past year. I had a student come to class. Uh, no names mentioned in case he's listening to the podcast who absolutely could not deal with the fact of going in his tent and not using a fossil fuel heater. He wanted a, a little propane heater in his tent and he felt like he was going to get too cold. And so that is a no, no. A lot of people think there's so much, um, a tent is not a solid structure. It is solid enough to, contain carbon monoxide and that is a killer that is not something that you need to fool around with so don't be using fossil fuels inside of a tent uh stay away from those yeah but those those are some safety concerns i just wanted to point out Uh, i just wanted to accentuate uh two of those one with your 10 foot circle i want to just encourage people to look up also uh i was just good point uh, yeah i was i was uh modifying the shooting range here craig and getting rid of my old backdrop for the archery part of it. And it was just, it was, it was rotting and it, it just was, had outlived its usefulness. And so I made up a, bur- a burn pile out there in the range. And uh, Karen informed me that I was maybe a little bit too close to a, uh, I guess like a scotch pine, we'll call it. It was a bigger pine. And even though it had been raining and I, the fire wasn't, I didn't think it was dangerous. Once we started getting some sparks, I mean, they were hanging on that, on some of the uh, pine bark a bit. So just make sure that you guys are, are looking up also, not just right. a 10 foot circle around, but uh, multiply that by like three, as far as uh, looking up 30 or 40 feet above you, you really want that to be clear, especially if you're anywhere and it's dry at all. The other thing I wanted to mention with clothing, Craig, a lot of people this time of the year, and and Karen prefers these too because she feels like they're cooler. Um, Nylon, a lot of people like to wear nylon pants because of whatever reasons. And those, you did mention clothing, but I just want to emphasize since we're in the spring, summer camping 
time, if you are going to be wearing any kind of nylon and you're going to be around a fire, especially starting a fire when you, you may have some sparks flying and things like that before things are consistently heated up, you need to be very careful because one of those sparks will can fall on your pants and all of a sudden your 50 or 60 or $100 pants have a, a big hole in them and could be worse than that. So just be careful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greg, I want to go back to something here. So we did talk about Tinder. Can you talk about kindling and fuel and just just take us right up the size ladder there as far as uh, our fuel goes? Yeah, fuel is the thing that makes all this put off the heat that you're searching, uh, searching out for or looking for. So one of the things that uh, there's all kinds of different ways of communicating this. But again, I always use the hand method in demonstrating that you need stuff Paper thin, that's about the thickness of your fingernail, and then get stuff smaller, slightly smaller than your pinky finger, smaller, slightly smaller than your thumb, and then slightly smaller than your wrist. And each one of those, each single individual one of those, you want to get a bundle of it about, again, about the size of your head before you start to gather mm-hmm. And start start gathering large materials and get that fire started. Last thing you want to do is get a tinder bundle, light it up, and then start looking for tiny sticks to add to it. Once you get all that together, then you're going to light your tinder bundle, and then you're going to start to add to it, which I think we're going to talk about in a minute. But but um, but gathering that material is imperative to get all that together before you start. It's one of the things that gets missed more often than anything, uh, particularly in survival fire building because when it comes to the point where you think you need a fire in a survival situation, you're probably already very cold or you've Mm -hmm. fallen into water and now you're struggling. And so any type of training that you can do where you deal with problems of, of manual dexterity problems where you can't use your fingers, right? You can force yourself to get your hands cold and then try to ferro rod your fire, uh, use your lighter, make a bow drill fire. These are all good training methods for you to be able to, to then, find yourself building a fire using all that material that you've gathered. That's really good stuff. One thing I want to emphasize here to you guys is that you are probably going to use three to four times more tinder and kindling than you imagined you were going to use. So that's, I think you're accurate, Craig, when you say, you know, enough tinder, the size of your head, the same would, would be with kindling. And, uh, and then you start getting into your, you know, stick size, finger thickness uh, type sticks, and then into larger fuel. But you're going to have, the goal is to get a sustainable fire. And what what I mean by that is you want to get a fire that you don't have to s- just sit there every moment and tend to keep it going. And usually my rule of thumb, and you might have a different one here, Craig, that's more helpful and more systematic. But if if I am nurturing that fire and it's kind of going on its own for about four or five minutes, and I'm just adding a piece of, of fuel every now and again, I would call that a sustainable fire. How about you? 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much how we do it too. I don't want to get too butthurt on um on the exact you know, I've seen some people argue that, but just as long as you can walk away from it and come back to it and it's still going strong, then I would call yep. that a sustainable fire. Yeah. So you want to talk about how to build a fire then? I think that's you, my friend, but I can do it too. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to talk about is you want to keep your fire and and this is really Craig's term, high and dry. So what we is like my to term? teach is um cool. I like it. Okay. Do you want to go with this? <laughs> no, no, no. I just, <laughs> man, I've been teaching for a long time and I use whatever works at the time. So I may have said that back in the day. If you're giving me credit for, I'm taking it. All right. <laughs> so high, high and dry. So we're talking about a platform here, right? So there's mm-hmm. a couple ways to do a platform. I think the preferred way, at least my preferred way is to get yourself some sticks and again, How'd you say that? You don't want to get butt hurt about this, but you want to build yourself a sizable platform of some sort and get that, get your initial fire off the ground because chances are that there's going to be some moisture in the ground. There certainly is a lot of moisture in the ground around here uh, with all of the rain that we've been having. So preferably it would be nice to have sticks that are not wet at all. Because again, if there anything that's wet is going to, uh, make it so that it's going to be hard to get combustion heat going even on your platform. So we want to get dry sticks, set them out. I I just get mine. I'm just going to say uh, maybe 18 inches to two foot and make like a two foot square of a platform. And that serves as the base for the fire. Now you could use, you could use a flat rock, but anytime we're talking about, fires you just want to be careful with rock especially rock that's wet because if there's any moisture in stones and as that heats up that moisture will expand and and could blow those stones apart plus oftentimes especially in the winter if you use a flat rock that rock is going to hold the cold in it just like craig's steel-toed boots held the hot in it (laughs) uh that rock can do the same thing when it's cold out and again that makes it so that you have have to have a whole lot more uh, heat to make combustion. Craig, where do you want to go from here on that? Uh, I think you're dead on. You can call it a fire raft or whatever you want to call it, but just put something okay. down so you're not. It, I uh, Man, we had a great demonstration of this in class about three weeks ago. I was teaching a wilderness safety and survival level one class, and I was having the ground was cold and damp, and so I was... I was able to build a tender bundle and I would light the tender bundle and put it down on the ground and it would immediately go out. And then I would take a tender bundle of same size and same make and literally lay it down on a bunch of sticks, a fire raft, and it would not go out. And people were looking at, it. I mean, it's so simple. It's, it's just a simple real lesson, but it's a great way of visualizing mm-hmm. that as soon as you put it down on the ground and I'm glad you mentioned rock, it is going to it's it's going to conduct heat from the tender bundle into the earth. It's going mm-hmm. to conduct heat from the tender bundle down into the rock, and so you don't want to do that. If you're conducting heat from the tender bundle into the sticks you're getting ready to burn, that's a totally different animal. That's a good thing, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't want it to go into the earth because it just dissipates and there's no value in it. You're basically losing all that heat. 
That's good. So let's just talk about the basics of building a fire now. And I remember the day, Craig, when we were setting up to do the first training that we taught together with Clint up here in Pennsylvania. And I had come up with a whole bunch of different fire lays, which is some of the, just like log cabin, TP fire, those sorts of things. And I remember you and I debating and you won this debate and your debate was based around the fact that you really don't need for, in most cases, any kind of a fancy fire lay to have a successful fire. And so I just, you know, just started, I actually eliminated those and we eliminated those, any of those from the tiny survival guide. And we have a, a four diagram section with some, some verbiage here on how to build a fire. Now, what do you, what do you think now? Cause I know your opinions changed now and again. Still the same, definitely on this one. And, you know, me being statistical and, and a nerd on data, uh, I had to prove this to myself cause I thought it was true. But so what I did is I took equal amounts of sticks and tender bundles from the same material. I mean, to the point, this is how nerdy I am when I did this test. I measured everything and cut them all to length. They were all exactly the same size. And you can imagine me doing this, right? <laughs> and uh, and so I built a fire raft. There were three different fires. There was one with a fire raft and a bundle laying. And there was a bundle laying on each one of these fire rafts. The first one, I built a teepee around it. The second one, I built a log cabin. And the third one, I did the Craig Cottle method. That's what I call it, where I just put sticks on it. And... I lit the tender bundle and then just watched it to see what would happen. And I did this over and over and over again. And I took times. I built a, an Excel spreadsheet and all this craziness. I mean, it was insane. And the resulting data proves that it doesn't matter. It just does not matter. You can build your TP fire. You can build your log cabin. You can do the Craig Cottle method and just put sticks on it. And in a, it's just as long as you're getting plenty of oxygen to it. That's the key. If your sticks are laid in such a way, you can build a teepee around it, and they're so tightly woven, for example, that no air is passing through, then it's probably going to go out because it needs oxygen. But it's just, yeah, I need to do a video on that just to show people. But, but uh, yeah, I, I don't see any real reason to build a teepee and or a log cabin in particular. I just put sticks on it. I know that's mm -hmm. really hardcore, but it, it's true. It works. So the basic, just maybe to quickly go through this method, this Craig Cottle method, <laughs> is here's what I do, Craig. I just I just take my Tinder bundle, I put it right in the center there, and I I put my kindling really close by because I'm I'm right-handed. It normally ends up on the right-hand side, and then I then I have my uh, smaller fuel just you know, those nice and dry sticks next to that and a nice big pile there. And then I just have a few pieces of, of larger log type fuel standing by and whatever my ignition source is, I get that tinder bundle going. And then it's just, it's just laying kindling on there, adding air as needed and uh, trying to get that to a sustainable point as soon as possible. What am I missing? Not a thing. I don't think, I think it works, works well. It does work. And one thing about this method too, Craig, is I think it's a more personal method and you are there for the contingency. You're, you are right there. You don't have to disassemble a teepee because you're, uh, 
because you're not getting enough air and then you're knocking around your tinder bundle and then it goes out on you and you already spent five minutes getting it going you are just right there to service that fire regardless of the the conditions that you're given on that certain day and i i just i've had a lot more success with that than i have with anything else so thank you again craig that's that's like second or third time I thanked you today. What would I do without you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, you brought up a good point too, David, and this is, the, there's so much dogma that surrounds this idea of survival and, and a lot of it comes out of scouting, I think, where you do things a certain way and there's nothing wrong with teaching people a a method. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all about teaching the people that come to Nature Reliance School classes how to critically think. Yep. And I think critical thinking skills and situational awareness are the two things that are missing in survival training. That's why I write about them all the time, do videos on them all the time, and try to talk about them here all the time. Because if I can teach you to critically think, then when problems arise, you'll work through that problem. Whereas if I teach you a method, and, and your method is tender bundle, TP fire is the best fire, it's the only way to go, and then it doesn't work, then, you know, you don't, you don't have a method to think through that process. That's why the way I teach is a, is a method of teaching critical thinking skills as much as it is anything. I mean, basically if you have the fire triangle, you know, some basics about how to get the right tinder and kindling and you know how to build a fire, even this this simple manual method, you can work through almost any situation and get yourself a fire. Now, this is not on our outline, Craig. I'm going to ask you when I dun dun dun, And I'm thinking of one particular situation see if you could come up with the same thing where actually using one of these methods, let's just say uh, the log cabin method or the TP method where it would be advantageous to uh, use that, that certain fire lay, that certain method in a certain survival or potential survival situation. Can you think of any? Signaling is a good thing for ah. a fire so all right you... you got it you got it craig Connell <laughs> wins again <laughs> but I, I do want to point this out to people because we've been going through this a lot with search and rescue because we've been teaching trait when i say tracy and i we uh tracy is search and rescue volunteer so he does you know that all the time i i get the good fortune of doing that on occasion but one of the things that's a misunderstanding is that anytime somebody gets lost, there's going to be some sort of aircraft involved in trying to find them. And that is just simply not true. So building a fire for the purpose of an airplane or a helicopter or utilizing a signal mirror for a helicopter or airplane are things that are far down the, the line of things that are likely to be effective. So when you're building a fire, if you're wanting to find it, if there are searchers that may come looking for you after dark, you don't want to put it in a place that you are completely surrounded where they cannot see the light of it. So put it in an open spot where a ground search team that's looking through the forest in your general direction will see the fire and can possibly come to you. That way you, uh, you have that ability to be more readily seen and put smoke on it put something on it causes smoke because smoke can both be seen and smelled. And so a fire like that is going to be advantageous for, for signaling. Is that what you were getting at then, huh? That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you got it, man. So basically the concept here is guys that 
there is a situation and that would be a signal fire because you, there may be an aircraft, there may be, you may hear something down in a canyon or up on a hill that's a couple of miles away or see a flash of light from a windshield of a search vehicle or something, but, but you speaking or yelling or whatever isn't going to reach them. A signal fire is a good option to have. So what Craig's saying is, and what I'm what I'm implying here, and just going to outright say is, uh, having some sort of a fire lay, whether it's a teepee or a cabin fire, they they tend to work good. That's well built with some green stuff standing by that can be lit up quick, and you can get that going. is is a situation where a, a pre made fire lay could be advantageous for you. That's it. And you got awesome. It. No surprise there, huh? let's go ahead and dig into modern tools go ahead i'm just going to go with the first modern tool and there was something that we skipped by craig and that was each of us saying what three fire ignition sources that we carry with us all the time so why don't we start there and i think we can spawn off of that do you want me to go first or do you want to no go ahead yeah that sounds good go ahead and then I, i did i forgot that we didn't do that Yeah, so three fire ignition sources that I have on me is, unlike Craig, I don't always carry a a, uh, lighter on my person. Mm -hmm. I know. I do always have a lighter in my backpack, in my everyday carry survival kit, but that's not necessarily always on me. What I do always carry on me, just because of size, is at least one, and I, I pulled out two uh, ferro rods. One is taped to the inside of my wallet. Another one is in this little two by two inch Ziploc bag with some waxed jute twine, a striker, and a uh, piece of uh, rubber inner tube, which makes a good fire extender. Uh, so my two, as far as everyday carry, would be a lighter and would be a ferro rod. And my thir- third one is, and this is specific again, this is like Band-Aid brand Band-Aids. Uh, the the one sort of survival windproof slash waterproof match, and I'm gonna just gonna tell you they're not. If you soak them, we did this in the training once. Remember, Craig, we we soaked mm-hmm. these matches for about an hour, and I think what ended up happening was the wood part of them just you know soaked up the water so much that uh, they weren't able to uh, burn because there was just too much moisture and heat just didn't get up high enough. But matches. And specifically, again, waterproof matches. I've had the most success with the Yuko brand matches. So that's my three. How about you? Lighter on my person, ferro rod, extra lighter in the pack. That's the way to go. Rock and roll. So a couple other modern ways to start a fire. And uh, I I was going to joke around with you, Craig on that question, but we missed it early on. I was going to say a Fresnel lens, a nine volt battery with steel wool and a fire piston, (laughs) which (laughs) if you guys missed the last podcast, you need to go back to the one that we did on survival gimmicks and hear Craig's response to fire piston. I came up with a survival (laughs) gimmicks. Craig entertained us in his, amazingly entertaining way and shared with us the best use of a fire piston. And I'm not going to give that away. Now you're going to have to go back and listen to that podcast. That was fun. That was a good podcast. I got some good comments for that one. (laughs) But a fire piston is. Hey, I've got to call you out on something. 
go ahead. I'm ready. I'm I, I ready just looked this. it up. I mean, I was getting ready to call you out, but I have to admit I'm wrong here. So if I, I mean, All right. so you always say Fresnel lens. So I just right, looked this yeah. up because I've always called it Fresnel lens. That's because you're from Kentucky. And as I look it up, you can pronounce it either way and it's appropriate. So I apologize for getting ready to call you out and <laughs> then not calling you out. <laughs> That's it's either I Fresnel it or Frey nail is what I'm seeing here. For now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. And the, re- the reason, the reason I learned that was years ago on YouTube and you know how nobody oh, cares to share gosh. their opinion at all in comments <laughs> on YouTube. Not at all. Somebody called me out on it because I called it Fresno lens and it, they're like, well, it's Fresnel lens. Yeah. Here's a link. Here's a link to the proper French pronunciation. So, uh, so we've got a fire piston. I'm just going to say, go back and listen to that podcast. That's not going to help you in a survival situation. Did I ever tell you about the, uh, <laughs> did I tell you about building the primitive, uh, fire building log that I did on no. video? On no, YouTube. No, no. Okay, long time ago, I got so. You realize you realize now, we, just because you're being entertaining now, we're going to have to come back to this fire thing and finish this up next time. That's fine. I'll tell this story because it's a good way to end, <laughs> and then we'll come back and finish this up. So, since we're talking about YouTube funny people, that's a nice way of saying it. Uh, when I first started doing videos on YouTube for Dan's Depot. I, I did not realize how mean spirited people can be on YouTube. So uh, I started getting hammered because primarily because of my dialect and my beautiful Appalachian English that I have that I speak. And so uh, I was getting hammered on that pretty regular. And then I finally decided that I like the way I speak and I don't like the way they speak. But nevertheless, I decided to just set up this video so I took an actual plumber's propane torch, you know, a big blue propane tank, put the lighter on the end of it, you know, the kind that you just turn the knob and then you hit the button and it lights, right? This thing's about mm-hmm. 14 inches long. So I went through this whole process of teaching people how I was going to build a Native American uh, propane log. And so I went through the process as serious as I possibly could. I harvested this bark off of this white oak tree. This white oak tree was dead. And then you stuff it full of all these grasses and stuff. And what they didn't know is I had the propane torch down in it, right? They just couldn't see it. And so in the process of, and then I went through the process of how you rub it like Tom Hanks did in Castaway. And in the midst of rubbing it, I lit it with my other hand. Okay. And so on video, it looks like I'm rubbing this bark down and then all of a sudden this blue flame comes out the end of it. And so I'm carrying around this thing. It's about 12 inches in diameter. It's a big, huge flame. And I was like, and that's how, you know, the Shawnee would do it back in the day. And straight face, never cracked a smile, never said anything in the description that I was joking. Nothing just left it. I do this on occasion, by the way, just to aggravate the snot out of people. And... I got the awfulest bunch of people like, I never knew that was a thing. How did he do that? I'm going to try that this weekend. And I got the enjoyment out of my own video that they were getting out of trolling me so much. So there you go. You can go back. It's on there. It's on Dan Zippo channel right now. It's, it's hilarious. 
So why don't we do this? Let's let's go ahead and talk through, just get through this one topic of some modern tools for igniting fires. All right. Yeah. Tools. You've already mentioned tools. ferro rods. For those that are not familiar, ferro rods are ferro-cerium rods. Uh, they came into great wide use when people started making small lighters. A lot of people don't realize that the thing that makes a spark in a Zippo lighter is a small, tiny ferro rod. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they started utilizing them to create sparks for welders and their little sparkers. And I don't even know what that thing is called, but that's a ferro rod that's inside there as well. And um, somebody had the great idea that they could make, you know, a woodsman fire with it. So they started making them in usable forms like that. And then they, you know, went crazy on survival. So that works really well. Lenses, David's already mentioned. Marcasite is something I like to bring up because people think that you can strike two rocks together and you can make fire and create sparks. You can with Marcasite, which only comes from Europe. Uh, you're not, it's, it's going to be a near impossibility. I've done it. I'm not created a fire, but I have created sparks with some material found here in Kentucky. Um, and I can't remember any of that stuff right now, but Marcasite, you can strike and it creates sparks every time. And, uh, that's going to come out of there. Flint and steel. I just like to bring up Flint and steel because everybody seems to call ferro-serum rods Flint and steel. And it's not Flint and steel is actually a piece of Flint and a piece of steel. So yeah, that's some modern tools. What do you think? And Flint, Flint and steel is kind of a, it's a classic traditional method that was used back in the day uh, when steel now specifically you want to just talk about the kind of steel you need and uh, what what is your what's your tinder what's your best tinder source then just explain flint and steel a little bit more flint and steel is a yeah. method that's been utilized and it's really interesting flint some variation of flint and steel has been used on every continent in the world and they've had different like I've got a good friend, Doug Meyer, who teaches primitive skills courses for us. And he's got a collection of, of, uh, strikers, Flint, uh, steel strikers from all over the world. It's really interesting. The designs that go into them, but basically you take some steel that is of a high carbon content such that when you strike it against a surface, that's harder than it, which is the Flint that small sparks come off. So when you're hitting it, small little slivers of the steel are coming off because it's striking the flint and breaking off. And then you utilize that spark that comes off to gather it and hold it and then turn into a flame. More often than not, people will use some sort of charred material. Um, Many, many moons ago when, you know, more native people were utilizing this and frontiersmen and, and Aboriginal cultures, when they started obtaining steel and utilizing it later on, obviously not in far history, they would use some kind of charred material that was natural, like a grass or a punk wood or something of that nature. And modern people will take any sort of organic material, even something made out of hundred percent cotton, an old t-shirt, an old flannel shirt is what I've done. Most of my uh, char cloth making old flannel shirts and that are hundred percent cotton again and making char cloth out of them and then utilizing it that way. That's good stuff, Craig. Here's what I'm thinking. Let's come back. Okay. Let's uh, talk about some other fuel sources, some modern fuel sources, I, because that's going to help people a lot. Let's talk about some fire hacks. Maybe we'll get into a little bit on hand drill and bow drill. And I have, I have a cool story to tell when I was able to go to the Amazon with Bushcraft Global and how the indigenous people there did their fires 
And then let's add in there. We'll talk about fire kits. And okay. We'll get specific on some checklists and all that sort of stuff. So you want to take us on out of here? Yeah, man, that sounds good. So everybody, please subscribe to the podcast now. Don't forget about all those opportunities that David mentioned above on how you can support the podcast so that we can keep doing what we're doing here. Uh, subscribing, though, is free. It's a total freebie. We love that. I hope you love that. And uh, free is good. And when you subscribe, that ensures that you're not going to miss out on this or any other episode. Many, many thanks to everybody that's already subscribed. That's awesome. Makes us look good when we're trying to find sponsors and stuff of that nature. So please subscribe. If you enjoy the podcast, and I know that you do, please share it with your friends and go over and give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to us. If you click the links in the description, you'll get everything that we mentioned in the show today. If there's anything that needs to be linked and I'm sitting here thinking there's not a whole lot, but I'll make sure I get a couple in there. And I think that's it guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the survival show podcast. Keep it simple, be positive and stay sharp.